This episode is brought to you by Get Mobile ID, the smart choice for MDL implementations. Put citizens in control with Get Mobile ID, fully ISO compliant and UL certified for all transaction modes. Learn more at getgroupna.com. Welcome to AnvaCast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the Anva community. Now celebrating our 90th anniversary. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Amphicast, everyone. This week, I am pleased to welcome Shauna Webster, the Executive Director of the National Association for Public Health Statistics and Information Systems, a mouthful, more normally uh, phrased as NAFSIS. Shauna, welcome to the Amphicast. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Um, it's great to to talk to you. It's a uh, NAFSIS has been a partner that Anva has worked uh, closely with for a, a number of years, um, and I know that the the states work uh, directly with uh, you and some of your systems. And so it'll be a good chance to talk about that today. But l- let's start at the beginning. The National Association for Public Health Statistics and Information Systems. Um, you like Anva is a nonprofit membership association. So tell us a little bit about who who your members are and and what you do for them. Absolutely. So yeah, NAFSIS is a mouthful and uh, we've recently been going through some um, branding exercises and we're about to roll out our brand new brand um, and we'll probably do that at the uh, Identity and Security Conference. Um, So we'll talk about that more later. So yeah, NAFSIS is um, a nonprofit membership organization that represents all 57 vital records jurisdictions in the United States. That is all 50 states, then Washington, D.C., New York City, and Mm -hmm. also a handful of territories. We've been around for almost 90 years. Just on our heels. Just crazy, right? Yeah. What year year did NAPSIS start? Oh, that's a good question. Because we're 1933, celebrating our 90th anniversary this year in 2023. So when you say almost 90 years, are you coming up as 2024, 2025? Do you know which year is your 90th anniversary? I think it's I think it's 90 years this year. Oh, wow. All right. Look at that. And Vanapsis together again, same years. So when you say the vital records agencies, let's explain to folks what that means, you know, who who are those agencies? Are they called the same thing in all the states and territories and, and what they do? That's a great question. So vital records agencies are, are the agencies within the health department, surprisingly, um, that handle all of the birth data and all of the death data and some of the stuff in between, marriage, adoptions, things like that. And vital records really grew up in public health. Mm-hmm. So even though we have this, um, the, the thing we have most in com- common with AMVA is, is that we, we are um, the stewards of individual identity in this country, right? But Vital Records is a little bit different because we grew up in the public health space. Our reason for being was was not just to produce birth certificates or death certificates, but to collect that data 
and to do something with it that would improve population health. Mm-hmm. So while we have only become really great partners with AMVA in the past six, seven, eight years, um, I think that's because we've leaned so, we've grown up and lived so long in the public health mm-hmm. arena, which is so separate from sure. everything identity related um, and so separate from even the rest of the, the state government agency, right? Right. Um, and then explain to us how that works because the you, your members are these state agencies are at the jurisdictional level. Uh, but those records, the, the points of birth and death and the, the birth certificate and death certificate isn't necessarily issued by the state agency, correct? I mean, you get, you know, the, the birth certificate is, you know, is not necessarily, you don't go to a state agency to get your birth certificate. You might, if you need to copy later on in your life, but when it first happens, it's not being issued on site by the agency, I guess is what I'm trying to get at and how that relationship works. Um, it is, honestly. Uh, the So I'll, I'll give you a, a couple of things that you may not know about your, your, your birth certificate and your death certificate. Um, one, your, the parent, the mother usually is filling out a worksheet when she goes in to give birth. Mm-hmm. And there are over like a hundred different questions, mm-hmm. over a hundred different fields of data on the the collection, the collection sheet for birth and for death. And when you're handed a birth certificate, you're only seeing the baby's name, the mother's name, the father's name, first, last, right, where right. it happened, the date that it happened. You're not seeing a hundred different fields of data on that birth certificate. So what happens to the rest of that? Um, it it goes to the health statistics portion with without with the names redacted, right? The names mm-hmm. get, get sliced off, and um, the the data itself, the health data, like did did the mother smoke during her pregnancy? Um, what what occupation is the mother? Like they're collecting all of these, these really health and um, uh, uh, basic information that makes up the backbone of health statistics in this country. So mm. just at the local level, but also at the national level. Okay. Um, so vital records agencies that the, the hospital collects that data inputs it into a birth registration system and then the it goes to vital records digitally and the birth is registered once it hits the vital records agency that birth is registered and a birth certificate is 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 produced okay and um and sent to the mother i think if if you've had a a child in the in the past you know, 10, 15 years, um, you didn't have to go to vital records to get your birth certificate for your new child. It, get, it gets sent to you Got through it. that process, which is a, a great service to um, all of our our citizens. And then is something similar done, you know, uh, the other big example, of course, being the death certificate. Mm-hmm. Is there a similar process there? Does it mirror the beginning and end? I mean, is it, I mean, somewhat poetic in that sense. 
<laughs> we, we like to say we get you coming and going. <laughs> so it is a, it's a similar process, except on the death side, there are so many more players involved, mm-hmm. so many more data providers to vital records um, because people, you know, 99.9% of people are born in a hospital, mm-hmm. but dying is a completely different thing. Sure. So we get death data from the hospitals. We get death data from nursing homes, from from the funeral homes themselves, from coroner and medical examiners. The list goes on. And all of those entities are um, tied into our electronic death registration systems. And once the data um, hits vital records that death is certified. And usually it is part of the the funeral homes services to order um, the death certificates after death because because an individual needs uh, multiple copies of a death certificate to do all of the end of life tying up um, Mm -hmm. of the estate um, and benefits and, and everything else that goes along with it, the funeral home usually just go ahead and orders you multiple copies. Mm. The, average, the average number of copies that a person needs in that jurisdiction. Um, and then those are sent automatically as well after the funeral home takes care of the, the order. And so in both those cases where you're talking about it's, it's sent and it's registered and goes into the registry, those registry, those databases are kept at the jurisdictional level. The state or territory manages that database of the birth or the death being registered in that state or territory. That is correct. And so one of the, the services that NAVSIS provides is that we, like AMVA, own and operate a a number of electronic systems that help the jurisdictions exchange data with each other. Mm -hmm. And because people don't um, die and get born in the same location, Mm -hmm. um, we, we have to have a way to exchange data so that we can prevent fraud because the longer a, after a person has died, the longer their birth record sits unmarked deceased, the the greater the chance of, of that fraud can be committed on that on that identity. Right. So through our Steve system, which is the state and territorial exchange of vital events, the jurisdictions exchange that data with each other. So if I'm born in Illinois, but I die in Maryland, Maryland um, sends that um, death notice to the state of birth and also maybe the state of residence. If I died in Maryland, but I actually live in DC, it can send to both, both places at the same, at the same time. And that happens automatically. Like once the, once the death is registered. Does the, the place of death, do they need to know where to send it to, or does your system allow for a way to search for the individual And then it'll tell you where that corresponding birth certificate might be. The place of birth, the state of birth is already in the data on the death, on the death side. So Steve knows to look at that, um, that field and send it to that location. If there was, I mean, I'm sure there are some occasions where 
a deceased, someone is deceased and there is no one who knows for sure where that person was born. Is there a way to track that down or is that, or is it such a small amount of number that it happens to, it's really an exception to the, to the rule? There is a way to track that down. We, we also have a, um, a system that we own and operate on behalf of our jurisdictions called EVE. Um, and that system is a verification and, and query system. So I, I like to think of it in terms of, of EVE, our electronic verification of vital events system is about, I have a yes or no question. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Steve is our system that actually transmit data transmit. files, yep. right? Yep. Um, so in EVE, you can look for a, if you have this, the, the fields required, which are first name, last name, and a couple of other, mm-hmm. you can look for um, a, a birth certificate and it will say, yes, this birth certificate exists in Illinois. Okay. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more about EVE, but first I have one more question on the death certificate side. Um, you mentioned it goes to the state of residence sometimes. Yes. That is to the vital records agency in the state of residence, I would assume. Mm-hmm. Has there been any conversation? I mean, this is where our members, I think, come into play. You know, they the the state of residence is most likely where that individual may have a driver's license driver's or license. ID card. And they would probably love to know that this, for the same reason, for preventing fraud, that perhaps this I- identity, this credential should be closed out of the system. Has there mm-hmm. been any exploration to the the that death registry when it gets sent to the state of residence? It somehow being shared with the motor vehicle agency? That's a great question. Um, so the, our Steve system has the ability to um, create a mailbox and the mailbox can be created nationally or uh, for say a federal agency, or it can be created within the state. Um, and we would have to sort of talk through the use case there to figure out which one made the most sense um, because you wouldn't, you know, for, for states that have large populations right across the border from each other, like Maryland, DC and Virginia, like that, that is a big issue, I'm sure. Um, And, but you wouldn't necessarily want to create a mailbox individually if you were a small New England state and you had eight different, so it might make more sense to do a national mailbox at that point, but um, I don't, I don't think we've explored that at scale. Okay. Uh, so we really I mean, you know, to cause more work for everybody, but yeah. it just struck me as maybe that's a connection that. Uh, that well, you and I, you know, I think we we are trying to um, market Steve, if you will, though mm-hmm. you know, in the nonprofit world, it's uh, marketing is is not <laughs> something we do on a regular basis, really. But we've been trying to market the Steve system use of the Steve system to more of the administrative use cases, because I think we've really targeted um, the administrative use cases to our Eve system, which Mm -hmm. is that query yes or no. Um, But there's no reason we couldn't do file transfer with, with um, approved data partners uh, on the Steve system so that it's more of a push 
it's it's exactly what you're talking about. Right. It's it's I was born um, or I died in Maryland, but my residence is Virginia, and it it sends my death notification to Virginia, but also at the same time Virginia's DMV. Right. There, there's no right. reason we, we couldn't set that up right. and have it happen automatically instead of having to manually pull the information right. out of vitals and send it to the DMV on a monthly basis, right? Because right. then you've missed potentially 30 days Absolutely, where you're at risk of fraud. Yeah. Now, on the EVE side, this is a place where NAFSIS and AMVA and vital records and DMVs have been talking a lot over the past number of years as it relates to verifying birth certificates, particularly yeah. in the wake of real ID and documentation requirements. Yep, absolutely. So our EVE system can provide that that query service, um, but it and it can do so in batches or individual. And it was all you know, I should back up and say NAFSIS created the EVE system post 9-11 to address um, what happened in that disaster with uh, the fraudulent identities. Mm -hmm. Um, And the vital records community came together to create the system that would allow DMVs to verify every single certificate that came across their desk. Mm -hmm. That literally is why it it came about. and now it's used for many, many, many purposes. Um, but, you know, I think what what happened in the the 10 years between Real ID being drafted and Real ID being rolled out is that we became a much more electronic society and Real ID still includes uh, the necessity for a paper documentation. Right. And I bring that up because Eve does allow you to do what we call a certification, but it doesn't necessarily include uh, a paper document. It just says it, 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 it does certification in an electronic way, um, which is fantastic, except it's still not good enough if you're sitting at your DMV and they require a paper document. Right. It'll tell you that it's real. And, and this so you is can a, verify a document, but you still need the document to start with. Exactly. So I think Virginia, to my knowledge, is still the only state um, that um, figured out how to do both. Um, but they had to put a vital records um, issuance person in their DMV to do it mm-hmm. so that. You could you could get it done all of the same day, but you're actually issue. ordering your certified copy in the moment, right there on site. Yeah. That's so. So yes, that that that's great. Do you see that changing at all? You know, with uh, we're looking, we're waiting on a real ID modernization mm-hmm. rule. Um, have you tracked that side of it as it relates maybe not needing the paper certificate and instead relying on the electronic verification? I, I think we're going to get there one way or the other. Yeah. Like at, at some point, um, we just can't be relying on paper anymore. Like we can always fall back to paper. Paper sure. can always be, you know, just like AMVA and its mobile driver's license. 
you know, we're never going to not have a physical driver's license, but, um, Whoa, about never, maybe not in our <laughs> lifetime, but I don't know. Maybe not in our lifetime, yeah. but no, it's sort of the same, same issue with vital records. Um, we, we don't ever want to say that we're never going to use paper again. Right. Like it, that, that will always be part of a continuity of operations plan, if nothing else. Uh, but I think we have to be on, closer to the bleeding edge of technology um, to be able to uh, forge the path for our constituents, right? Sure. Whether or not we're talking about drive DMVs or we're talking about vital records yeah. agencies, um, we 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 will be expected to be participating and enabling electronic identity management services yeah. to happen, and uh, and and we're we're a little bit behind. Um, and there are great reasons for being a little bit behind um, on the vital records agency side, um, especially given the pandemic and the yeah. fact that we're, you know, we're still in public health, right? <laughs> um, yeah, we're at this really exciting point in our evolution as vital records agencies um, to be looking down the road and 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 planning our way towards um, a mobile birth certificate and a mobile death certificate, um, and we are we are obviously so thankful for our relationship with AMVA um, to help us uh, uh, not have to create all the same wheels over and over and over again. Um, because I think our our use cases will end up being fairly similar, and the technology. You know, the, t um, the technology is there. We just yeah. have to catch up on the, the policy and state government side. Um, and so we're just starting down that path. And, and we're so excited to uh, have AMVA speak with us at our Identity and Security Conference in, in Washington, D.C. this April 4th and 5th, where we're going to be um, piloting the the very first jurisdiction is has been working with a vendor and we'll be piloting the very first mobile birth certificate um oh. and and we'll be um we're we're so excited to be featuring docket as well they are um, the company that helped many states do their immunization app oh sure so I think the bookends of mobile driver's license on the AMVA side, immunization on the purely health side, and then vital records is really that that place in the middle um, that is is your health, but is also your individual identity. Um, and th that's that's really exciting. Um, our members are excited. We're also worried. You know, we don't we don't know exactly how how to do this the right way, the way that's going to be sustainable for the vital records agency, a way that really serves the public um, in an equitable, in an equitable and economical way. So as you're talking about a mobile birth certificate, 
obviously with our work on mobile driver's license, there's been very clear use cases about when a mobile drive mobile driver's license could be used and, and by whom, because it's something that folks are using every day. A birth certificate is not something people use every day. So I'm curious when you're thinking about a mobile birth certificate sitting on a, a smart device, what are those use cases? When might be somebody using a mobile birth certificate? Well, I will start out by saying we're, we're very much at the beginning of this and haven't really worked through all the possible use cases yet, but we, we have completed a, um, a short backwards working, like brainstorming session about this and envisioned um, a couple of them. So I, I'll, I'll um, explain a few of them to you. One is that you need your own birth certificate to get your driver's license and your passport and a couple of other major identity related um, use cases. But I, as a mother, also need to use my daughter's birth certificate to do a number of things. Um, and, and really all, all through their, their young lives. Um, up until the point where it gets handed off to them as an adult so that they can go out and do the driver's license and get their passport. Um, and so a couple of the use cases there are for enrolling in schools, um, enrolling in Little League. Little League, believe it or not, still requires a, a paper birth certificate. Um, and uh, a colleague of mine used to coach Little League and said, you know, for a long time, uh, he, he coached Little League for like 10, 15 years and had boxes and boxes and boxes of kids' birth certificates in his basement. <laughs> but what a huge fraud risk that is, even though um, we, we would like to think and, and are, are relatively certain that passport or or even our DMVs have a lot better security measures around keeping these identity documents, um, the, the risk is still there. The risk is still there. So, um, so on, then there are use cases on the death side as well. So if, if one of my parents passes away um, and I need to um, complete all of these administrative tasks on his behalf after his death, um, it's, it, it would be so much more useful to have something that I can just share dynamically with the bank, the pension benefit company, the um, any number of other entities that are going to require um, the VA, if my dad is a vet, you know, there, there are so many and it ends up being quite a financial burden on the family to have to buy like 12 or 15 death certificates to just be handing out to people willy nilly. Um, so as more of our financial lives are online, as more of our identity um, services are online, so should our identity documentation. So, What do you think about an ID that follows you from birth to death? 
um, instead of just certifying that someone gave birth and instead it would create an identity? Yeah, we, we've had lots of conversations um, around this topic. And uh, one of the things that came immediately to mind is um, the Estonia use case. And Ian, I know you've been at our ID meetings before, so I, I think you've probably heard them speak at a couple of our events. Um, but Estonia's X-Road, um, you know, and, and for those who may not know, Estonia is a tiny, tiny, tiny country in Eastern Europe, okay? Very, very small. And I can't remember what the population is, but it's 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 small. It's, it's a tiny country. Um, but they have, they went, Full on electric with their entire government system. And once uh, a child, once a child's birth is registered, they have their unique identifier for the rest of their life. Um, and they can use it for anything from their mobile device or from, from a, a, a computer. So they can even be you know, abroad in a different country and vote in their national elections via their mobile device because they they have it so locked down. And it's it was built with the idea of interoperability um, inside of it. Uh, it was built in that way. Um, it interoperability was baked in to the design of the X-Road. Um, so that whenever they had an, a new thing or had to change a thing, it was plug and play. Um, and the only thing in Estonia that you have to show up for in person is to get married or to buy a house. Those are the only two things. Um, so it's a fascinating use case. Um, uh, if you're, you're really interested in it, uh, there are lots of articles out there on the interwebs. So um, it's, a, it's a great way to waste a couple of hours, but it's fascinating that, that it is possible to do something like that. And I think it's, it's easier, obviously, to do that in a smaller country. But the truth is, in most other countries, identity is nationalized. It is not a federated system like it is in the United States. So we, we, I think we made it very hard on ourselves because we, we, it is a, a state issue. Um, it is a state's rights issue and the state owns all of that data um, and not the federal government. So who gets to use it and for what purposes becomes political in different states around our nation. Could you see a future where at the state level, issuing a birth certificate becomes more of an ID that follows you? Is that something your community members would explore? I, I think if it were just up to our gut level intuition and logic, that would be a thing that we could do. <laughs> I think because it is not up to logic, it would be a very difficult thing to do politically. Um, I, I think uh, even in the healthcare industry, unique identifier is 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 sort of a, a hot hot button issue. Um, so, do I think it's possible? Absolutely. Like, oh my God, it would make our lives so much easier. Like every state, uh, all the way across, um, it it would make some it would make 
it would make things so much easier. Um, but how long do I think it will take us to get there? I'm not sure. I, I, I've always wondered, and, and partly because I come from a lab background, a state laboratory background is, you know, and this is going to be provocative, so nobody gets scared, but at the point where a DNA test becomes instantaneous and we're, we're not close to that, right? But you know, it, it went from taking days to taking hours within a matter of a decade. So at the point where it is instantaneous, um, what, what does a birth certificate mean anymore? What does a driver's license mean anymore? If everyone has the ability to verify your identity through your DNA, which presumably would be the most st stringent way to verify someone's identity, uh, and the most unique identifier kind of way to to verify your identity, then, you know, the entire game changes, I think. Obviously, instant DNA is further down the line. Uh, when you look in terms of the next phase of this and what might be reasonable to expect to happen or what you would like to see happen, what does that future look like to you? I would be thrilled just to get to... Um, just, just to have at least half of the states with a working mobile birth certificate or death certificate pilot going on like that. I, that's where we need to be in the next, you know, five or six years. And NAFSIS is in a strategic planning year. And so we're really going to be reaching out to our partners like AMVA and our other partners in the identity space and our members, obviously, and charting that course and, and figuring out, you know, what does success look like for NAFSAs in the next five or six years. So, so Shauna, earlier on, you mentioned this idea of the organization is going through some rebranding. Uh, curious to know a little bit more about that. You know, we joked about the acronyms. Is that a, is that a name change you're revealing perhaps? No, NAFSAs is going to stay. NAFSAs is here to stay. Um, I will, I will give you a teaser and say that um, we were going from acronym to noun. Because I don't think our, our, our acronym doesn't really accurately describe who we are and definitely doesn't describe who we're going to be in five years. And so there was, you know, there's always a, do you change the name again? Do you not change the name again? How much... Um, uh, bank do you have in your current brand? And um, we decided for now to stick with NAFSIS and still be NAFSIS, but without the acronym. Well, Sean, I really appreciate you spending some time with me today. Uh, I have a feeling our partnership and our collaboration is only going to continue to grow and get stronger uh, in the coming years. Uh, but thanks for sharing everything that NAFSIS is, is up to. We'll be looking forward to future updates. I'm excited too. Thanks so much for having me, Ian. And thanks to all of you for listening this week. Thanks as always to our producers, Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Till next week, everyone, stay well. Thank you for joining us for AmbaCast, hosted by Ian Grossman, produced by Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin, music by Gibson Arthur. This episode was brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America. Visit us at amvacast.podbean.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.